Doggy, and we shall get started with 2911. Hold on to that one for one second. Hold on for that. Just hold on that one second. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Hold on to that one. Hold on to that one. And yeah, let's do that. Ah, Heavenly Father, thank you for getting me home safely. Thank you for getting me home swiftly, effectively, efficiently. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my leaders. Thank you for those who surround me. Thank you for the angels you've sent me in human form. Thank you for the air that I breathe. Thank you for keeping my family safe. Thank you for the productivity, the effectiveness, the efficiency. Thank you for moving all obstacles, all adversities, opening up paths, doors, windows that we are on the highway to heaven here on earth, experiencing the most extraordinary life one could ever imagine in this moment right now. And all of this, we just stand in gratitude. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude is the day we have, a good day of gratitude. Thank you, thanks for all of us for being here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for starting this day. Thank you for getting me up. Thank you for all the angels calling, blowing my phone up to wake me up after about 45 minutes of sleep. Jesus! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you! Thank you for no sleep, Jesus! Thank you! I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little carried away. Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. We're going to get right into Women! Women! Okay. I'm excited. I've been excited, y'all. I'm sorry. Trust me, I, didn't, I don't take drugs, and I'm not high, I didn't get drunk. I'm just excited. I'm telling you, life is just phenomenal right now. Phenomenal right now. I just do not want it to just do anything but what it's doing right now. Mmm. God. I've never tasted better tea in my life. <laughs> okie dokie, 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 dokie. Oh, man. All right. Proverbs 29. Ruler, servants, and the fear of man. The fear of man, the fear of man, the fear of man. The fear of man. Okay, let me turn this sound. See, that was, a, that was a, that was a hint. Okay. Can you guys still hear me? Jackie, Francisco? Good, good. Those noises, you know, an old man. I just don't feel like I'm Noah up in here, and I just got off the boat. All right. All right, number one. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Well, as in many places in the Bible, the hard neck is used as a figure of speech to speak of the stubborn attitude that resists and disobeys God. This proverb speaks about the man who is often rebuked and doesn't listen to rebuke. Instead, he hardens his neck. This stubborn, rebellious man continues in his disobedience for a long time until he is suddenly destroyed, and there will be no more hope for him without 
any remedy. This describes the kind of person who thinks little of God, merciful, patience, and assumes judgment will never come for his continual rejection of wisdom and stubborn heart against God. But number two, as he steps into, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. It is to the benefit of the community or nation when the righteous are in authority. This shows that when the righteous govern, it should be for the benefit of the entire community, not only their own interests. Hence, we've been saying this throughout all of Proverbs. It's not about you. It's about leaning on the, on the authority or on the, on the understanding, on the wisdom of God. Solomon goes deep here. Both the oppressions and mischiefs which they feel and for the dreadful judgments of God which they justify fear. So we move directly into three. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. Children of any age bring happiness to their parents when they love and live wisdom. Notice I said love and live wisdom, not live, not love, but love and live wisdom. It gives the parents to justify pride in their children and gives peace about their children's future. This is one example of a foolish life, someone who chooses. When we're talking about a companion of harlots, wastes his wealth, this is one example of foolish life. Someone who, who chooses harlots and others of low character, not prescribed on any gender, harlots of all kinds, character as their companions. This fool wastes his wealth on the harlots and other similar interests. It's a parallel, it's a metaphor, showing they are opposites of the ones who love wisdom. Four, the king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrows it. Well, a nation can only expect strength and progress when it's ruled with justice. When a community or nation sees evil doors punished and restrained, fairness in the legal system and agreements honored, there will be justice and a foundation for the growth of the blessing. There are many ways that justice can be abused but this is one of the worst ways. Bribes destroys the foundation of fairness and equality before the law. It means that the rich and devious prosper. Number five, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. In this sense, to flatter or to flatter is to excessively praise or give attention to a neighbor with the hope of gaining influence or status. Such flattery is a trap. It is a trap that the wise man knows how to avoid and that also catches the fool. Back to the snare we've been talking about throughout the previous 27 verses. By transgression, an evil man is snared as we, <laughs> of course I use that word, but they're gonna use them Proverbs 6, right? But the righteous sings and rejoices. A man be, may be evil in, in his character, yet it is actual acts of transgression that ruin him. Most evil men think that they are celebrating life and freedom through their transgression, through their going backwards, but it will be a trap and a snare to them. It will trip them up, it will mess them up, it will completely void all of their good doings. The righteous man sings and rejoices. If 
transgression belongs to the evil man, then singing and rejoicing belong to the righteous. The singing and rejoicing is an expression of what is inside of them, just as much as the transgression is an expression of what is inside of the evil man. Seven, the righteous consider the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. One mark of the righteous man or woman is that they care for the poor. It is more than a response of feelings of pity. It considers the cause of the poor. It is thoughtful, compassion, in action. Those who are wicked, rebellious against God and his wisdom can't even understand such compassion since it does not directly serve their self-interest. They can't understand it. They can't overtake it. They have no comprehension in this verse. As we move into eight, scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away with wrath. But wise men turn away wrath with wrath, wrath, depending on what version you're looking at. In the family of fools, the scoffers are some of the worst offenders. They are so, we've already identified this many times over. They are so settled in their combativeness, their cynical rejection of God and his wisdom that they may bring the judgment of God and fury of man against their own city. The opposite of the scoffer is the wise man, obviously. And of course, we're making the distinction black and white as we've done through the entire book. Collectively, wise men have the understanding, character, and righteousness that may turn away God's wrath. Nine, if a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rapes, I'm sorry, rapes, rages, rages of laugh or laughs, there's no peace. Let me say that again. Forgive me for moving fast. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. You guys with me? Yes, yes? Okay, just nod your head. You with me, Francis? We got you, Dwayne. Jackie, I don't know. You're frozen. Okay, just making sure. Okay. <laughs> Here, Solomon considered some of the arguments or disputes between the wise and the foolish, likely set in a court of law. Since the two have different foundations and principles for living, it isn't surprising that they would contend with each other. When two such different people contend, normally there will be no peace. The fool will respond with either anger or mocking, but neither will lead to peace. This should teach the wise man to be cautious about contending with the foolish man. Oh no, I like the simple way of saying it, and that is, if you talk to a fool, you'll be a fool, because you're just having a foolish conversation. It just makes sense. Have you ever had that conversation? You're like, why am I having this conversation? This is just a stupid conversation. I'm stupid for having the conversation. Oh my God, this is stupid. And you just, just want to beat yourself up for even bowing down. It's crazy. Um, the bloodthirsty ten, the bloodthirsty heap, the blameless. But the upright seek his well-being. There's a fundamental opposition between the bloodthirsty and the blameless. Those given to violence and brutality simply hate the blameless, both because the life and message of the blameless convicts the bloodthirsty and because the bloodthirsty hate all the blameless stand for. As we move into 11, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. A fool vents all of his feelings. Hey, I want y'all to hear this piece. You see why I'm repeating it? Are y'all following me here? It's short, but it's powerful. Talk about separating your emotions. 
a fool vents all of his feelings. Separate your emotions from your task at hand and the conversations you're having. But a wise man holds them back. This is probably my favorite part of 29. It's 29.11. You might want to write that down. It is nature and natural for a fool to think that everyone is interested in all his feelings and that he has some obligation to inflict all his feelings on others. This is a foolish offense to self-respect, self-restraint, and courtesy towards others. The wise man knows that there is a time and place to vent one's feelings, but one should never imitate the fool in exposing all of his or her feelings. Twelve. If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. All of his servants become wicked. Now watch this. Anyone in authority will have many who want to use his or her power and position for their own advancement. Some of those may use lies to influence, frighten, manipulate, or simply deceive the ruler. The wise ruler pays no attention to lies, to gossip, to murmurs, to conversations in the hallway, to people leaning to the left or right. See, when the servant sees that the ruler can be influenced by lies, when the servants see that the ruler can be influenced by lies, it encourages them to lie. Deception is rewarded in telling the truth is discouraged. The atmosphere of the environment around that ruler and his servants become poisonous, toxic, and incompetent. Oh, I'm sorry, there's a little bit triggering here. Stick with me. 29.13, the poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. See, it is difficult to think the two greater contrasts than the poor man and the oppressor. I mean, despite their great differences, they have something in common. God gives some kind of light, some kind of revelation in creation and conscience that God sends that, that third eye, that, that, that gut feeling to every person. Romans 119 through 21 tells us about this. One may obey or reject God's message in that light, but God gives light to the eyes of both. <clears throat> 14, the king who judges the poor with, with truth, the king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. Not ever, ever. They should have a slang Bible written. Maybe I'll do that. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Just saying. Part of the responsibility of a king or any leader is to make judgments, and sometimes those regarding the poor and disadvantaged. The king or leader must be careful to not show partiality against the poor, but to make judgment according to truth. That king who refuses to show partiality and judges the poor according to truth can expect to have a long reign. Their reign will be blessed by God and received by the people. 29.15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Here we learn through correction, Jesus himself learned through suffering in Hebrews 5.8 as a reference point. So should we not despise God's use of either the rod or the rebuke. No one is above learning through discipline. 
no one. Discipline is the order of God's government. Parents are the dispensers of it to their children. Let correction be first tried. And if it succeeds, let the rod be spared. If it succeeds, let the rod be spared. If not, let the rod do its work. As we look at a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The second part of 15, the principle of the first line of this Proverbs is especially true regarding children. Children who are never trained with loving correction often bring shame to their parents. 16. When the wicked are multiplied, transgressions, transgression increases. But the righteous will see their fall. There is something of a multiplication effect in the advance of wickedness. In some way, when the number of wicked people is doubled, then it seems transgression increases four or five times. This is welcome assurance when it seems that transgression increases. The righteous must not despair. God is still in control. Though the wicked are multiplied, God will not allow them to triumph in the end, and they will fall and fail. <clears throat> 17. Correct your son, and he, will be, and he will give you rest. Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Many Proverbs speak of the importance of correcting and training our children. If we leave them to themselves, to their peers, or to their culture around them, and fail to correct them ourselves, they will be an ongoing source of trouble and strive, giving us no rest. A lot of parents want to think, I don't want to actually go in on them. I don't want to put a rod to them. I don't want to give them another lecture. Maybe they'll learn if I just have a simple conversation. But it's the sternness that will actually save them from going to jail in a lot of cases, or getting into even worse trouble, or constantly repeating the problems that they create around you, them, and everything else in their space that actually lead to something of a demise. Every parent wants this delight of a soul. When we look at the second part, yes, he will give delight to your soul. Everyone wants a delighted soul, being proud of their child. This is a sense in which God appeals to our own self-interest. If you won't correct your son because it is for him, then do it because it is good for you. 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. The revelation in mind here is not the, spontane not the spontaneous word from a, a purported prophet or better stated, it's, it's God's great revolution. It's his revolution. It's where he revealed word through the Hebrew prophets and later the apostles and prophets who gave us the New Testament. When God's word is unavailable or rejected, the people cast off restraint. They no longer have a standard greater than their own feelings or current oppositions, let alone their opinions. The word hazen, H-A-Z-O-N, refers to divine communication to prophets. It's spoken of in 1 Samuel 3.1, and not to an individual, not to a personal goal that may be formed. Vision is to be taken in its exact sense of the revelation of a prophet receiving. There's a lot that goes into this, this specific verse. 
where divine revelation and the faithful preaching of the sacred testimonials are neither reverenced nor attended. The ruin of that land is at no great distance. No greater calamity, therefore, can be than the removal of revelation, where revelation is withdrawn from a church. The people perish in ignorance and delusion. See, the people cast off restraint. That part right there in the verse, this principle was lived out in Israel's history, specifically in Judges 17, 6, 21, 25, and 1 Samuel 3, 1. It's referenced three times in the Bible and scripture. All describe such times when God's word was abandoned and the people lived with no restraint, cast off restraint, or better said, is like this, or is made naked, stripped of their ornaments, God's favor and protection as the word is taken, Exodus 32, 25. Very powerful right here. When we're looking at 18, it gets into it, right? So look at this. In contrast, as we talked about, happy is he who keeps the law. In contrast, there is happiness and contentment for the one who keeps the law. In this sense, the scripture is something like a guide given to us by our, by our owner and creator, telling us how to live a wise and blessed life. It is within restraint, but not in an oppressive sense. Only a fool thinks that all restraint is oppressive. And as we close this part, I want you to really understand 18. He who keeps the law, although the want, although the want of God's word be sufficient for men's destruction, yet the having and hearing or reading of it is not sufficient for their salvation, except they also keep or obey it. 18 was a chapter in itself. As we move into 19, a servant will not be corrected by mere words. A servant will not be corrected by mere words. For though he understands, he will not respond. The idea is not of someone who has an honorable servant-like heart. The idea is of someone of menial service who has slave-like mentality that can't be lifted above his or her present misery. That person is unlikely to be corrected by mere words tough life experience and discipline will be more likely to teach them. And the second part of that, though he understands. Well, this goes into, this. what this does is it shows that the problem with such a person is not mental or intellectual. He understands well enough. The problem is that he will not respond he will take more than, it will take a lot more than words to get him or her to respond and learn wisdom, will not respond. And I quote from Paul, either, either by words expressing his readiness or by deeds speedily and cheerfully performing thy commands, but will neglect his duty, pretending that he did not hear or understand thee. 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? Question, that's a question. There is more hope for a fool than him. Uh, Proverbs often teaches us that a mark of a fool is that they don't have control over what they say. They're hasty in their words. See, Solomon, he understood that the man hasty in his words was a special kind of fool, a super fool. 
lacking wisdom. His impulsive speech sets him up beyond the hope of even the normal fool. I've never even heard of a super fool, but I know that there are some out there. <laughs> there are some super fools out there. Believe me, you, me. He who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. The idea is of a man who is overly soft and generous towards his servant. He worries too much about making life easy and pleasant for a servant. This isn't always in a good sense, meaning we'll have him as a son in the end. This isn't always in a good sense. The one who pampers his servant will make the servant so attached to him that he will end up with another obligation and another person who expects an inheritance like the first son. 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression. It is in the nature of the angry man to spread his strife to others with peace lacking in his own soul. It is easy to put his inner strife upon others. When the angry or furious man spreads his strife, as we look at the second verse, it makes transgression abound, sin abounds, and the atmosphere is marked by a lack of self-control. 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Because God resists the proud, pride will naturally bring a man low. Like Satan, the one who hoped to rise higher through his pride will fall. Just as much as God resists the proud, he also gives grace to the humble. God's gracious blessings to the humble in spirit mean that they will gain and retain honor. 24, whoever is a partner with a thief, thief hates his own life. He swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. See, to partner with a thief is to reject wisdom and embrace folly. Folly is just another word for fool, but the one who steals from others will steal from you and perhaps with violence threatening your own life. The partner to the thief is the kind of man who will repeatedly vow to tell the truth, but reveals nothing about his partner's criminal activity. He places loyalty to his friend above his loyalty to God. That could be quite dangerous and treacherous, to say the least. The fear of man brings a snare. Back to that word snare, getting caught up. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. You would think that that's self-evident, but not everybody listens. Many seek the ruler's favor, but the justice for man comes from the Lord. Many people of great heart, of good heart, God heart, but not enough courage, live in bondage to the fear of man. They worry far too much about what people think instead of first being concerned about what God and wisdom say and what integrity would lead them to do. This is a snare that traps many people, many, many people. Saul and Aaron and Peter are examples of men who stained, if you will, by the fear of men, who got stained by this. How often has this led weak men, those sincere in their general character, to deny their God and completely mess over his people? It was the fear of man that caused Pilate's name to become infamous in the history of the world and of the church of God. 
and it will be infinite to us through all eternity. The fear of man led him to slay the Savior. Take care that it does not lead us to do something of the same kind. The contrast to the fear of man is he who trusts in the Lord. Notice the second part of that verse. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. I don't think that needs any. I could, I could go down the road with that, but I think everybody gets that. Let's go to the last verse, 27. Twenty-seven. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. An unjust man does not please those among God's righteous. They share God's regard of the wicked, seeing them as an abomination for their sins against God and man. And the second part of that, upright in the way is an abomination. It works both ways. The upright man or woman who's seen as an abomination to the wicked. The righteous life is an unwelcome rebuke to the wicked. This proverb serves as an apt summation of the whole Hezekiah text. Righteousness and immorality are mutually exclusive. One must follow one's path or the other. If you look at Jeremiah 6.16, that was a quote, by the way. See, as we sum up this in 29, it's just about learning and adjusting. If you fail to adjust after being rebuked, you'll end by falling into utter ruin and won't be able to repair it. The old things are repeated. Wicked rulers are bad. Wise children are good for their parents. Visiting with prostitutes is bad. And flattering neighbors is pretty bad too. Kings who exact too much from the people can ruin their countries. And fools and scoffers are still verboten. If the wise try to bring fools to the court of law, it leads to the endless ridicule and ranting. So avoid doing that as well. The wise know how to hold back their anger. That means hold your tongue. Shut up. God makes jerks also, is what we get into in the latter part of this chapter. Rulers shouldn't listen to falsehoods, but should be fair to the poor. The poor and their oppressors have at least one thing in common. God has made them both live. See, if parents neglect their children and don't discipline them, they, they will have grief. Not only law, but prophecy also helps people to behave correctly. As we move through the chapter, it taps into you can't discipline servants through words alone. People are too thick-headed, too, too hard-headed. Skulls are too hard, period. Also, slaves who have been coddled won't come to a good end. People who are hasty in speaking are worse off than fools who have less hope. Trust in God rather than fearing other people. Trust in God, that's probably one that sticks out most to me in these notes, and that is trusting God rather than fearing in other people. God ultimately gives justice rather than kings. And last but not least, the righteous and the wicked both seem like an abomination in each other's eyes. Whew! That was a lot, and a lot to eat. It's a very good meal. Of course, I have one to add to it, but we're going to do takeaways. So here, let me stop right here because I approved this chapter of 29.